Good morning. My name is Tegan Smith. Um, I serve here on the City Kids team. Today, I am going to be reading the scripture. It's from James 3, 13 through 18, for those who want to follow along. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Man, thank you, Tegan. Good morning, City Church. This morning we're gonna continue the book of James that we've been in the last several weeks. If you've been with us, James is a very practical book. It's a book that he draws from the life of Jesus in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and he opens with this question this morning that he throws out in this section that we're gonna go through. And the question is this, who is wise and understanding among you? Who really has wisdom? Now I think there's people in the church who are causing division, who are claiming to have wisdom, which is why James brings up this specific question. Who really are the wise? And James, just like he does all throughout his book, is kind of one of those, don't just tell me about your wisdom, show me, right? Don't just tell me about your faith, where are your works? It's one thing to say you have control, self-control, but what, what about your tongue? What about the words that you speak, right? So James is kind of a show me kind of guy. There's an easy to be kind of, I think, tricked into assuming that when people look the part, maybe they're clever, maybe they just kind of, fig- they, they look like they have it all together. It's like, oh, that, that person's wise, that person's wisdom, I, I wanna follow them. But then have you ever like peeked behind the curtain? Anybody ever done that with like somebody that you really respected and you peeked behind the curtain? It's like you go into your favorite restaurant and looking into the kitchen, don't do it, right? <laughs> don't peek behind the curtain because you don't always like what you see. All right, this is the person who's like a financial planner, but their own finances are in disarray. You ever, you ever seen that? Like you clean houses for a living, but have you ever seen my own house? You know, those kind of things. You, you're a pastor, you preach every week, but then they don't lead their family or their marriage or their life. It's, it's easy to project and say, man, I'm, I've got it all together, but what does your life, what are the fruit of your life, what does it look like? James would say wisdom is revealed by your life, your actions, your works. In fact, he, he says specifically, your good life and good deeds done in humility. Your good life, your good deeds done in humility. Now, I think James leads us there real quick, and I think this is important to know. To demonstrate wisdom requires these three things. Wisdom requires understanding. An understanding is understanding the ways, the will of God, the ways of God, God's design, God's truth. So wisdom requires understanding. Understanding requires demonstration. You can't understand something unless you practice it and put it into your life. Like Pastor Jim was just talking, I can, I can know about generosity, but unless I practice it, it doesn't become real and a blessing in my life. Right? Then number three, your demonstration, and I love this, requires humility. And sometimes people feel like, well, this is kind of out of place. Why does, why does it say humility? And, and humility is gonna kind of be this bedrock that James built his entire argument upon. Last week, Pastor Rachel talked about the tongue reveals what is truly in your heart. 
This week, I think James would say humility and your deeds reveal wisdom. Are you walking in humility and does your life reflect wisdom and an understanding of the ways of God? Now again, it's obvious that James is addressing this because there's conflict in the church. He wouldn't have written this in his letter unless that they're struggling through it. If you've been around City Church very long, I've talked about this a lot. If you truly wanna know somebody's spiritual, emotional maturity, you have to see how they handle conflict, right? Because conflict is the great revealer. Like those, these premarital couples that come in and we're like, we've never been in a fight before, I'm like, well, you need to fight before you get married because <laughs> if you don't fight, you're not really gonna know each other because conflict, again, brings out your emotions, right? Conflict reveals things. Conflict is one of those moments where like, do you say what you wanna say or do you bite your tongue and still walk in humility? And, and it's a revealer because it shows you who people really are. It's, it's one thing to project and say this, but conflict is going to bring it out of me, and it's really the proof of maturity. James would go on, he says, there's godly wisdom and there's earthly wisdom, and you have to choose which one you're gonna walk in. A wisdom that's derived from God, his will, his design, or there's a wisdom that's derived from the philosophies and the values of this culture, and they don't take into, God, into account God's design. This earthly wisdom, James would go on and say, it's driven by bitter envy and selfish ambitions. He would say it's unspiritual and even uses the phrase that we just read, demonic. And some people, you read that and you're like, that's a little heavy handed, James. But the, the values and the philosophies of this world are driven by the king of darkness, right? And he says they're demonic. But there's also this godly wisdom and it's driven by humility and meekness. I'm gonna ask you this, is there any attribute or characteristic that reflects a life in Jesus more than humility? More than humility. Is there any attribute or characteristic that requires the transforming work of the Holy Spirit more than humility? Because you're gonna live your life one of two ways. You're gonna live your life in humility, and humility really does this. It puts others at the center of your existence. You live others-minded. Everything that you do, everywhere that you go, your purpose is constantly, how do I elevate other people? How do I bless them and love them and serve them? You can live your whole life that way or you can live a life of pride. And pride places me at the center. And some people have false humility. Like they claim to have humility, but it's really about them. And pride says, you know what? Everything that I do is ultimately for me. A lot of marriages start off with other-centered and then after time they move themselves into the center and they say things like, well, I just fell out of love with this person or you know, it's not what it used to be or we're just, you know, all these phrases that we use but really what happened is they moved themselves to the center and when you move to yourself to the center, let me tell you, all relationships in your life will eventually fall apart because humility is the glue that allows relationships to flourish, amen? Humility is what it requires to love others well. Uh, Back in the year 2020, anybody remember that year? The year that never ended? Come on now, it's been been a couple years, let's just go back there for a minute. A lot of things happening, a lot of craziness in life. Uh, I have a tendency sometimes, I love bookstores, I love reading, I love just walking through bookstores, and so I will look at the National Christian like bestseller list every year, and how many know every time I look at it, I get so angry. There are some horrendous books on that list every time I look at it. And I'm a reader, so I spend a lot of my time trying to figure out like who, who do you read and who do you not read. One of the reasons we do a library out there is because we wanna let you know these are good voices. 
right? We, we've worked through the bad stuff. We haven't put it out there, right? We want you to know, like, who can you trust? And so sometimes in, in the Christian world, oh, this person has a following, this person's well-known, they must be a great writer. Nope, right? So I can't tell you how many times I get talk, ticked off looking at this list. I'm like, that's the third like, best-selling book among Christian books. Like, it's sold over a million copies. That, you've gotta be kidding me, right? That's trash, <laughs> you know, don't read it. And so I do, I, it makes me mad. And so I remember back in 2020, the world is falling apart. Everybody's, it's a time of outrage, opinions, just division, strife. And there is a book at the top of the, the bestseller list called Gentle and Lowly. Anybody ever read this book? It's about to be out there for you. It's not right now, but it will be eventually. And I look at this book called Gentle and Lowly and I'm like, that's crazy. That in the midst of all of this, this book is number one. I figured it was gonna be like 42 reasons Jesus is coming back tomorrow, right? Some kind of trash like that. <laughs> Please don't read those books. Don't support that junk, you know? We keep buying that stuff. So people keep writing it. Gentle and lowly. And I, I, I actually, I was like, I have, to, I have to read this book. And so uh, I ended up reading it. And I realized in a time of just division and outrage and craziness, people inwardly were craving a simplicity back to the life of Jesus and who he was. Like they, they, they wanted this in their life and in our lives. The entire premise of this book is Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says, come to me, all, you who, are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know if you've ever really broken this down, but this, this passage tells us what the heart of Jesus is like. It's one of the few times where Jesus tells you what his heart is like. What is most true of Jesus? What is at the innermost recesses of who he is? He's gentle and lowly. Like those aren't on our top characteristics usually. <laughs> that we want to attain in life. People want to be powerful. They want to be heard. They want to be successful. Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly. What is gentle? It's meek, it's humble. Not harsh, not reactionary, not easily exasperated. Jesus is the most understanding person in the universe. His posture is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Jesus lives, walks, and responds with gentleness. It's who he is. And then it says, I'm lowly. So lowly overlaps with gentle. Jesus is humble, he's accessible. No one is more approachable than Jesus. There's no prerequisites. He's the most accommodating, most understanding, most welcoming, most willing. Jesus lives his life to serve others, elevate others, and honor others. Is, if we really wanna look and act like Jesus, is gentle and lowly at the top of our lists? Is humility at the top? Every opportunity I get, I wanna look for an opportunity to elevate others above myself. And let me tell you, humility will transform relationships in your life. They will transform joy and purpose and meaning and gratitude. Let me, let me quickly talk about this. How is the fruit of humility grown in your life? Because you don't just wake up, roll out of bed, and you'd be like, you know what? Today, I'm gonna be more humble because I really just wanna be more humble, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit, which is cultivated in your life as you learn to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's how fruit is grown. 
Like we grow not just by saying we want to, but by allowing the Holy Spirit through community and the word of God and worship and coming to church and all of these things develop the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So how has it grown? Number one, a revelation of our sin. You have to know how far your sin has taken you away from God. You need a revelation of just how bad you really are, right? This is what my sin has done to me. It has separated me from God. I have chosen rebellion, right? Number two, you need an understanding of what God has accomplished for us through Jesus. Not only what your sin has done, but what Jesus has done. That Jesus was the sacrifice, the atonement, that he took our place, right? He was the sacrifice so that we could have life and not death. He chose death. And all of this happens, number three, through the work of the Holy Spirit. As we understand our sin, as we understand what Jesus has done through the work of the Spirit, I believe humility is produced in our life. I am deserving of nothing, amen? Get out of bed every morning and say that to yourself. I I am deserved nothing. I'm owed nothing. Jesus has given me everything. Like you begin to say that, it's gonna be hard to walk in pride. It's hard for pride to elevate itself when you understand who you are and who God is and what he's done for you. Church, we must be known for our humility, amen? We need to make humility great again. Come on now, that wasn't in the notes. (laughs) Somebody needs to write that book. Come on now. I don't know where that came from. That from. That was some deep place in here, come on. Even when we as believers, moving on, even when we as believers are called to fight certain battles, listen to this, we are never called to lay down the fruit of the Spirit while fighting our battles. I want you to hear that because some of you are still thinking about what I just said. We are never, when we stand up for truth or to fight certain battles, and God does call us at places to stand in places, we never lay down the fruit of the Spirit. There's this understanding of like, oh, I can lay down peace, love, joy, kindness, goodness, because the, the battle is worthy enough for me to just go in attack mode, right? This is what we do. And so I don't have to operate in humility in this realm. I can lay it aside because the cause is worthy. Let me tell you something about preaching. I've been preaching 17, 18 years now, and I can guarantee you that if I'm gonna preach on a topic, I am about to be tested in that very thing. I will tell my wife, babe, I'm about to do a three-week series on marriage, so you better buckle up. Like. <laughs> We are not confrontational people. We have not had a lot of fights in 15 years of marriage, but if I'm preaching on marriage, I'm gonna tell you the enemy is going to put just targets on us. And that's how it works. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I mentioned this in our message in James 1 uh, of the situation right now. My wife and I, for a while, one of our callings is Tulsa Public School System. I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm not making a political statement. This is not a rant. I'm I'm telling you the story for a reason, so stay with me. Um, some of you know right now that it is a mess, right? Especially the news between the superintendent of the, the Department of Education in Oklahoma, the superintendent of public schools resigned this week. Uh, there is a lot of blame to pass around. There's a lot of issues. We have always felt called to stand in this place for kids who cannot fight for themselves. For the 30,000 kids in Tulsa Public Schools, whether you're a private school person or homeschool, that's great. Everybody is affected by public schools. And so we wanna fight for those kids who don't have a voice. We wanna stand in that place. We wanna create for all students what we want for our kids. And that's been difficult at times. And I'm passionate about it, but ask my wife about it. But if you're gonna ask my wife about it, you need about an hour, okay? I can still sleep at night. Sometimes she can't because of this. 
So this week has been tough. This week has been tough. There's been some things happening that um, are frustrating and maddening, and let me tell you, I'm a pastor, and I don't get up here and preach on my opinions because that's not what you come for, and that's not my role, but I have opinions, right, just like you do. And so this week was particularly tough, and we were feeling high emotions, and we were angry by, by a lot of things, and so I get a text message on my phone on Wednesday, and I'm in meetings, and it, and it says, hey, uh, Pastor Matt, this is so-and-so. I work for the state superintendent of education uh, in the state of Oklahoma. I would love to set up a conference call with you, and some in- with you this afternoon to get your take on what's happening and to see if the church wants to work with the state uh, department of education to help Tulsa Public Schools, for the churches to help Tulsa Public Schools. So I'm like, sure, let's do this. <laughs> Three o'clock this afternoon. And I am back here, I have a little office right here behind this, these walls right here, and I'm sitting in this office and I'm preparing for this message and thinking, God, you are so funny. Because <laughs> I am talking about humility and conflict this Sunday. And the last thing I wanna do on this call that I'm about to go into is be humble. Because I'm ticked, right? You fill in the blank because how many know you have things you're passionate about, right? You have things that check the box for you. And so I called my wife and I was like, you'd never guess who I have a call with this afternoon. (laughs) And I remember sitting in this office and it's 2.50 and I got 10 minutes and I did, I prayed. I said, God, help me, help me. Give me the mind of Christ. Help me in a spirit of humility. Say what you want me to say, right? This is my prayer. I get on this phone call. The first thing out of their mouth says, in light of everything that's happened this week between the Oklahoma Department of Education and TPS, what's your take on how it's being handled and how it's being received? <laughs> you ever been in a moment where your brain is like a Rolodex of everything you want to say, and it's just flipping through, and you're like, nope, 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 you know? <laughs> can't say that, can't say that. And I actually just started kind of laughing out loud, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be rude to you. I just like, there's, how much time do you have? How much time do you have? because I spend a lot of time thinking about this and I've done my homework. And for the next 40 minutes, I broke down the Tulsa public schools that are flourishing and the ones that are not flourishing and and a plan and things that we're doing and the way that church is partnering with them and things that aren't being seen and things that are being handled the wrong way and how to lead well, amen? All of these things. It It went well enough that after it was done, they said, we're gonna be coming in town soon in Tulsa, we wanna sit down and meet with you again. I said, praise God, amen. You know why I tell you that, church? I I truly believe this. When we love and honor people well, even when we disagree, I believe God will open the doors for us to be bridge builders and peacemakers. Amen? Amen? And I don't know where this door is leading. This may be it or maybe not. But I truly believe that even when we disagree, even when I don't see eye to eye to you, I can honor you, the image of God inside of you, amen? And the words that I speak and what comes out of my mouth is either gonna be honoring and leading us towards peacemaking and bridge building or it's gonna put you on the defensive where you feel all of a sudden like I'm under attack. And how many know when you're under attack, the only thing you can do is try to defend yourself. And so everything that I said on this phone call, God season it with grace because I don't, wanna, I don't want them, these people to feel like I'm against them. How do we collectively move towards a future where every kid in our city gets a great education, amen? You and I don't see the same way, but we're actually moving towards the same goal. 
And when we humble ourselves, I believe that God will give us places and positions and voices to be heard, amen? When all we do is attack, when all we do is respond out of high emotion, those places are not created for us. And we tell you this morning, if you commit to humility and conflict, let me tell you, you're gonna be tested. Some of you are gonna be like this morning, like I'm gonna do this, and then Monday, tomorrow, your boss is gonna walk in and say something to you. <laughs> and you're gonna get to practice this. Allowing humility to permeate everything, how we drive, amen, come on now. If my wife was in here, she'd be pointing at me saying amen. <laughs> you're preaching to yourself. How we talk to our boss and employees, how we treat our spouse, how we engage in politics and current issues. This has become uh, a message for me over the last few years. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this topic because in me, just to give you a little backstory, I, I've seen something shift in me and my leadership over the years. In a few months, I'm gonna be 40 years old, so maybe I'm doing some reflection, right? I started pastoring when I was 22. Uh, started City Church when I was 24, come on now. Yikes, yikes. For some of you who have been with us the whole time, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry when I did what, I, what I did when I was 25 years old. But my definition of success today is considerably different than when it was when I was 18 and 24 and 28 and 32. Because how many know experience can mature you, right? I used to pursue success and I would, I would wanna get the achievements and I would look for the accolades and if there was an opportunity to be known or get onto the stage, I would, I would seek that out, right? Because that's what a lot of people do when you're 20 and you're an Enneagram three. Come on now. <laughs> you wanna achieve. You wanna climb the mountain. I gotta be honest with you. The pride in me is not completely dead because I don't think that ever goes away. I don't desire that at all anymore. Something has shifted in me. I'd rather see other people successful. I'd rather see you thrive in a stage and I'd rather sit back and watch you. I used to read every leadership book imaginable. In fact, I was laughing the other day as I was moving into this little office. I have a million books back here and I was unpacking all these books that I'd had at our last office space. And, and like when I was in my 20s, if there was a leadership book, I bought it. How to climb the mountain. Come on now, 42 ways to change your life by tomorrow morning. I'll do all 42. I'll do 43, I'll make one up. <laughs> I mean, that is how I was driven. I read maybe one leadership book a year right now. There's nothing wrong with leadership books. I'll buy 40 books on spiritual formation and the mystery of God and learning to lean in more than I read leadership books because something has shifted in me, in my leadership. There's nothing wrong if you read leadership books but that's a shift in me. I used to seek out people and mentors who were successful or noteworthy or famous, and you know who I seek out now? People who have been with Jesus. Faithfulness was not one of those top things for me back in the day. I'm like, faithfulness, yeah, it's overrated now. Oh, faithfulness, perseverance. That person has done this well for years and nobody knows their name, but God knows their name as great as their legacy, amen? Great as their reward. Not people who are successful, but people who have learned to set at the fate of Jesus and people who are humble and passionate and have integrity. Humility will change how we see the world. It changes how we see other people, how we see our relationships, our stuff. Humility is so undervalued in our current culture, it may be the greatest tool of evangelism that you and I have right now. It may be the greatest apologetic that we have to show people 
The goodness of God and the love of God is to be humble in a world that doesn't value humility and doesn't show humility. I have this app on my phone of, of, of news articles I read every week, and the top news article for the last two weeks has been the title, How Did America Get So Mean? How did we get so mean? And it begins to break down these, just how we got to this place. And now we sit behind our phones and keyboards and different things, and now we're faceless so we can say whatever we wanna say. Because when I'm not face to face to you, you're no longer made in the image of God. You're a profile, you're an avatar, you're something somewhere else, and so I can say whatever I wanna say how I wanna say it. Why do we get so mean? Humility, humility. Responding with humility, responding with honor. Honor is a matter of the heart. You don't get to choose whether you honor people or not. You don't. No, you didn't vote for him for president. You don't like that politician, that's great. You still have to honor them. Honor is the position that starts here. Loving others when they don't deserve it. The argument in James three actually spills over to James four. I know like later on they came in and they put chapters and verses, but really there's no break between James chapter three and James chapter four. So let me read this for you, to you. James chapter four, verse one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You, do not, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, enmity towards God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Look at these last few verses, verse seven. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your mourning, laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. James says, what is at the center of all the division and the worldliness and the fights and the quarrels and your tongue that you use to speak death? The center of it is selfishness and it's pride. You want what you want. And he says, there's a desire that are battling and waging war between you and me right now. And here is the question. Will we operate in humility and subject our flesh and desires to the will of God? Or will we give into selfishness and our emotions and our desires. And how you answer that question will determine the depth and the quality of your relationships in your life. The quality of your marriage, the friendship, your church family, your biological family, all of those will be determined by the depth and the quality of your humility in relationships. Placing others first or placing yourself first. I get the honor of setting down with marriages that are in conflict, in fact, it's not something I just do because I'm a passionate supposed to do it. I actually feel called to this arena. I, I love this. I love being op the opportunity of sitting down between couples whose marriage is in conflict and helping them move forward. I, I, there's things that I'm gifted at, and it's one of the things I feel like God's helped me and, and gifted me and given me a spirit to help couples just find a way forward. And let me tell you, you know what's true out of all 500 times I've probably done this in my life? It says we're sitting at a table with two people 
who may be engaged in heavy conflict, there's bitterness, there's resentment, there's unforgiveness, maybe days, weeks, months, or years have built this up inside of them. You know what it requires to break down the walls and the barriers in that room? Humility. That's what I pray every time. God, would you give one of these individuals in this room the spirit of humility to admit to whatever percentage they need to admit to? They're 2%. Give them the spirit of humility to admit they're 2%. They're 98%. How many know every conflict takes two people? And very rarely is it one-sided. And you may have 2% or 10% in this, but you have a portion of it. When I'm in conflict with somebody and I sit down in the church, you know what I start with? Hey, here's what I wish I would have done better in this conflict. I could have improved in this area. You know what I do in that moment? I pave the way for them to admit and own their own mistake, right? Now, I'm gonna own my peace. And when a couple will do that in marriage, when they will look at each other and say, I'm sorry for this and I'm not gonna point the finger at you, all of a sudden, I can't tell you, the spiritual walls just begin to crumble. Like this unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment that is just built up time and time again, all of a sudden, you just like see it. I mean, it's like in the spiritual realm, like the Jericho walls begin to fall as people just begin to own their piece of it. It's absolutely transformative. Like this is the kind of stuff that people just pray for me and just pray that it goes away. But as you begin to own your part of it, that's what happens. And maybe it's not even marriage. Maybe it's in a strange relationship. Maybe it's a friendship, something like that. You, you, you begin to own your piece of it, right? You begin to own your piece of this equation and watch what God does. I wanna end this morning with just a few things. Wisdom and conflict, Wisdom and conflict, I think this would honor James because James is all about practical wisdom, right? So this morning what I wanna give you is just some practical things in conflict that will help you navigate life and relationships and especially conflict. Number one is this, ask for the Spirit to help you before addressing the conflict. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Do you know why people don't pray or don't wanna pray before they enter in the conflict? Because I don't wanna submit my flesh to the Spirit. Come on now, right? That's, that's the reason. I wanna say what I wanna say. I wanna get it out there. I'll be in a couple, with a couple who is heavily conflict. Hey, let's just stop for a minute and pray together and you can tell they're looking at each other like, I don't wanna pray about you. I don't wanna pray about this. And they're like waiting to get done so they can just say what they wanna say. How many of the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom? and understanding and revelation if you submit your emotions, your wills, and your ways to the Father. Number two, you have to establish rules and boundaries for how you deal with conflict before you get into conflict. Healthy marriages have a plan. Do you know that? Healthy marriages have a plan. They have boundaries already in place. You don't just go into conflict and be like, well, I'm just gonna respond however I wanna respond. Well, good luck with that. Like when Lindsay and I lead people in premarital counseling, before Lindsay and I got married, we made a list. Here's the things that we're gonna do and not do in conflict. If we leave, we don't leave with no return date, right? We don't sleep in separate rooms. We don't go to bed on our anger, things like that. We don't bring up the past. We don't name call. I mean, Lindsay has entrusted me with her life. I know the, the inmost deepest parts of who she is. If I want to bring her down, how many know I know exactly what to say? but I would never use that. 
That is something God has called me to steward and protect. I wouldn't use her insecurity to win an argument, right? How many know if somebody wins and somebody loses in a marriage, you both lose? Welcome to marriage. That's how it works. So we have a plan in place. And Lindsay and I are actually very different. I like to talk about things immediately when we're in conflict. Um, I don't get super emotional. In fact, when I'm really, really emotional, I talk like this. <laughs> you know? She's not that way. In fact, we had to get help our first year of marriage because she was so emotional in conflict that I would shut down and be like, I can't talk to you if you're gonna cry. And she's like, well, this is just how I respond, so you're gonna have to figure it out. And so we had to go to other people to help us figure out how do we move forward in this, and then we got a good rhythm together, right? We got a rhythm of how, how we interact in conflict together. And today, again, we're not confrontational people, but in 15 years of marriage, you're gonna fight, amen? Yeah. You're supposed to amen there, it's okay. <laughs> It's not if you fight, it's when and how, because conflict's inevitable. When it's really, really, really heavy conflict, I already know what she's gonna do. Hey babe, I need 15 minutes, I gotta process this, I gotta go, I know exactly where she's going, she's gonna get in her car, she's gonna drive to Sonic. It's like .2 miles from our house. She's gonna get a large Diet Dr. Pepper and she's gonna sit there and she's gonna think about it for a little while and then she's gonna come back and we're gonna talk about it. <laughs> it works for us. I'm ready then, she needs a little bit of time we have things, we know how to move it forward. Number three, don't respond when emotions are high. Don't respond out of just how you feel in that moment. Do you need time to be able to process it? Submit it before the Lord, talk to somebody about it. How many know that I got the text from Department of Education, I called my wife, I was going to my pastor's group, my luncheon. I said, guys, you wouldn't believe the text messages that I just got and I really need your accountability for what I say in this meeting, amen? Number four is this, be willing to be honest and have the necessary conversations in love. Being a person of humility and being a peacemaker does not mean you avoid conflict, amen? Being a peacemaker means sometimes you have to disrupt the false peace that exists and you have the conversations that are necessary. We counsel people all the time in marriage, you cannot die on every hill. Not every battle can be your battle, but you choose and say this is something that has to be addressed, we have to talk about this. This is somebody, uh, a coworker, a boss, I know I need to have this conversation and I'm gonna go in in humility and love and have this conversation. The next one is this, I already said this, own your part of the conflict. Whether it's 2% or 98%, you have to own your piece of the conflict. The next one is this, you use language and a heart that moves you towards peace and reconciliation. Are you using language that is moving you towards peace and reconciliation. I know I'm using marriage as an example this morning. You don't have to be married to use this, but in a marriage, when you are in conflict, you are either moving the ball forward towards resolution or you're moving it backwards. And let me tell you, every time you move the ball backwards by what something you say or do, you're gonna have to work twice as hard to get it back towards conflict resolution. So what's coming out of my mouth? What's my posture? Right? Am I immediately making you defensive or am I using language that invites you into a solution? This is wisdom, right? This is wisdom. Am I using language? Am I humbly presenting the problem before us in a way that we can move the ball forward? Think about what language you use. The last one is this. Honor the other person as made in the image of God even in your disagreement. Made in the image of God. You're loved by God, you're worthy of honor and respect, even when we don't see eye to eye. You know what each of these things require? Self-control and humility. 
Humility is the playing field for all of our relationships. It really is. And let me tell you, people in this room, City Church, humility will absolutely transform your friendships, your marriage, your relationships with your, with your friends. It will, tra- it will absolutely transform everything. Maybe you've been estranged. Maybe there's been a family member or someone in your life with conflict, and conflict has been happening for a while, and you don't want to be the person. You don't want to be the person that says that or asks for forgiveness. And so you hold on to that. See, this is, this is what the lie of the enemy does. He says, hold on to that bitterness. Hold on to that unforgiveness and resentment because that's all you have. The enemy says to you, they don't deserve forgiveness. Look at what they've done. So you hold on to that, thinking that somehow by holding on to that, you get the upper hand. I'm gonna win. And the whole time the enemy is deceiving you because your heart is literally being destroyed from the inside, amen? That's what unforgiveness does. That's what bitterness and resentment does. It's the appearance of like, yo, we've got the upper hand, you're like, you're gonna win this, and the whole time the enemy's like, I'm just gonna lock you up. Because when unforgiveness lives here, guess what? Everything else begins to die in you. The fruit of the Spirit, the work of God, the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, like unforgiveness will just eat all of that alive. And it eats you from the inside out. This last part of James. James says, conflict comes because selfish desires aren't being met. Underlying all these selfish desires, James would say, is a misunderstanding about who God is. When you understand who God is, you begin to put others first. You begin to forgive and let go. You walk in humility. James goes on and says, you don't have wisdom? Guess what? Because you don't ask for wisdom. You don't ask God. Prayerlessness is a sign that someone is trying to run their life in their own strength. Like you're trying to manage yourself when God wants to give you wisdom. And instead of choosing peace and forgiveness, we choose ourselves as desires. We say something we shouldn't have said. We seek to destroy or win instead of bring peace. We look for the worst in people instead of an opportunity to see the best in people. And I love how James ends this. What's the remedy? He says, submit yourselves then to God. It's submission. As you submit yourself to God and you submit your selfish desires, what happens is the pride in you begins to die and the humility begins to grow. And humility will transform your life and relationships. This is why he says in this passage, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God so loves you that he will oppose the pride in your life because it leads to death. And God so loves you, he will work effortlessly to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life because it leads to life and peace, amen? Stand your feet with me across this room. Jesus was gentle and lowly in heart. He lived a life of humility. Right now, City Church, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit, right where you're at, 
to search your heart for pride, for selfishness, for resentment, for bitterness and unforgiveness. Allow the Holy Spirit to shine the spotlights where you have put yourself in the center. Jesus, we wanna look like you. We wanna reflect you. God, we wanna live a life of humility and gentleness in all of our relationships, in our lives, in our conflict. And it's hard because of the evil desires that war within our soul, it's hard. But Father, as we prepare in a moment to come to the table, this is the source of our humility. The source of our humility is that you, your body was broken for us and that your blood was shed for us. That through our sin, we deserve death and you gave us life. We deserve to be on that cross and you went on that cross on our behalf. That we are de deserving of nothing and you have given us everything. God, that is the source of our humility today, Father. Would the gospel become so alive and so deep in our hearts today, Father? And as we prepare ourselves for the table, Father, would you develop the spirit of humility in us and through us, we pray. City Church, right where you're at, allow the Holy Spirit right now just to speak to your hearts. Give him space to move, to speak however he wants to. If you would turn towards the screens with me, we're gonna say our table liturgy together. I'm gonna say it over you this morning, we'll change it up. For the weary, the table is our rest. For the burdened, the table is God's embrace. For the sick, the table is heaven touching earth. For the doubting and confused, the table is God's mystery revealed. For the bitter and hurting, the table is God taking our pain. For the anxious and worried, the table is our immovable hope. For the divided and disconnected, the table is where we become one. For the unbeliever, the table is an invitation to take Christ. At the table, we declare Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Today as we come, this is the source of life, of forgiveness, and I don't know about you, but I don't believe communion and coming to the table is just a memorial. I grew up and it was just a way to remember what Jesus has done. I believe that coming to the table in the body of Christ like this goes beyond that. I believe there's something mys mysterious and powerful about this moment. I, I think this is a moment where God can break the, the, the chains off people. I believe where unforgiveness can overflow into your heart. I believe physical healing can happen at the table. I believe the table is a moment where some people choose Jesus for the first time. I believe this happens as we step out of our seats in a minute and we wait in line together and something happens in the waiting. Something happens as we take this bread and we, we take it and we put it on our tongue and we, we can feel and taste and smell. 
and something transformative is happening deep in our soul, whether you see it or not. I believe that. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body. I was broken for you, for your wholeness, for your redemption. And then Jesus took the cup, shed blood, poured out for you and I, that one day you and I stand before the creator of the universe. We'll face our judgment, but God will not see our sin, amen? He will see the sacrifice Jesus has made for us. I'm gonna invite the prayer and communion team to come and prepare. If you one more time would, me, would just bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you for this moment that we have. We thank you for this moment that we have. Jesus, I thank you that you are gentle and lowly in heart, that you did not come in just power and pride like every other leader, but you came to serve and you came to love and that your kingdom was so countercultural. But you knew that love wins, that love is only the, way, the only way that we can truly be transformed. So we thank, say thank you for that. We ask you to help us to live in this humility and grace. And as we come to the table in just a moment as a community of faith, that we would allow this to transform our hearts and transform our lives to be more like Jesus. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You're gonna step out of your section to the right, come forward. They're gonna give you the elements you can take there or back at your seat. As you're ready, please step out of your seat and come to the table.